The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 28. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan, and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive branches, uh, olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, 
choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote all these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. The word of God for the people of God. Happy New Year, church. Special thanks to Southwest Airlines for some of you guys being with us today. My brother and his family are here. They got caught up in that debacle. I was talking to some other folks who got caught up in that. There's some people from our church who are supposed to be here, but they're still on the East Coast. So, you know, this is the, uh, it's that New Year's. It's the New Year's of Southwest Airlines. Sometimes those things happen. Hey, my name is Bob, and I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, by the way, if you're newer, um, or if you're a person who like has questions about God or about the church, I'd love to connect with you, just hear your story, um, get to know you a little bit. So I'll be up front after the service along with some of the prayer team. And if you want to come and introduce yourself to me, I'd love to get to know you. Um, it is kind of a unique day, right? Because it's not often that we get to gather here and worship Jesus on the very first day of a new year. I mean, there's always a first Sunday after New Year's, right? There's always some Sunday after the calendar turns over that we gather here. But I mean, the year's not even 12 hours old yet, and here we are, right? And so this is kind of a unique moment because it gives us a chance to think about 
And in fact, I want to preach to you this morning about the theme of renewal. Um, I think the reason we like New Year's Day or like this season of the year, assuming that you do like it, but I think most of us like the idea of a new year because it's a chance to sort of um, reset. It's a chance for a new beginning. It feels like a fresh start. We're turning the page on the calendar. There's a sense that though we are the same people living in the same world, that we kind of like get a fresh start. We get to look out at a fresh set of 365 days in front of us and feel that sense of newness. And I don't know about you, you might not be like me, but this time of year, I start thinking about the question, am I going to renew certain things or not? Like, am I going to renew Amazon Prime? Am I going to renew the fitness club membership that we really don't use that much? Am I going to renew the lawn fertilizer guys that really don't come till summer, but they make me decide in January whether I want to hire them? Am I going to renew my kids' enrollment in the schools they attend? I'm thinking about things like, do I need to make any changes to my tax withholding because it's a new tax year? You're, you tend to think about, as the calendar turns over, what am I going to renew? What am I signing up for again? And is there anything I'm not signing up for again? And that's actually a good time to ask that question in our souls as well. Like, are we signing up for another year of following Jesus or not? Uh, you, you might not do that on a calendar, but it is helpful to ask every once in a while to step back and take stock of your life and ask, hey, what am I, what am I signing up for? Am I still in this thing? Now, thankfully, God is the one who guards and keeps and preserves us and sustains us in faithfulness to him. And so ultimately, our perseverance as worshipers of God is a work of his grace. But the means that he often uses to do that is our volition and our decisions and our willing and our choosing. And so this morning, I want to ask you the question, will you choose to renew your commitment to God? In 2023, will you start this year by saying, yes, I'm going to follow Christ. Now, for some of you, this is going to be the first year of doing that. And that's one of the fun things about being a pastor at a church like Quorum Deo is there's always non-Christians and new Christians among us. And so some of you, this is like your very first year of saying, yeah, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And that's really fun and exciting. I love being part of a church where that's happening. But for many of you, this isn't going to be your first year of walking with God. You're in a season of life where you're asking, okay, I've been a Christian for a while, I've been following Jesus for a while, and I want to ask you specifically, all right, are you still in? Will you commit in 2023 to saying, yeah, I'm going to walk with Christ this year? I was hanging out with a friend recently, and he was telling me that when his grandfather passed away, his grandfather left him a vintage Rolex watch. And he was telling me about how this watch works just so you know, Rolex isn't really my socioeconomic status. I'm more of like a Casio Timex, not even an Apple Watch guy, so I don't know the Rolex world, okay? But my buddy was explaining to me that the way the Rolex watch mechanism works is that it renews itself by the movement of your arm. So basically, as you wear it and just move your body, it renews the motion in the watch so the watch keeps ticking. But if you take a Rolex off and you leave it on the dresser or in the closet for about a month, 
Because it's not getting any activity, it eventually dies down and stops running. And by the way, they make these uh, for people who own Rolexes. Let's say you own some Rolexes, maybe. They make these fake wrists that are battery powered that just sit in your closet and do this. Just so you can keep the watch working. So like you can put it on there for a few days and not wear it and then take it back off and it still shows the right time. So if you're wondering what to get me for Christmas next year, I need both the Rolex and the fake wrist for it to really be a good gift, okay? Got to all come together. Um, But as he was telling me that story, I was realizing, um, you know, our souls are kind of like that, aren't they? Like when you think about your relationship with God, few people reject God and just turn away in a blaze of glory. For most of us, what happens is we just sort of run down over time. We allow our spiritual life to atrophy. We become apathetic and lazy and disinterested. And over time, it just feels like the batteries are running down, the energy is running out. And so we all need moments where we intentionally ask ourselves again, all right, am I going to walk with God? Where we're asked to make a choice and, and again, renew our discipleship to Christ. And so that's what I want us to do together on this first Sunday of 2023. We're going to look at a story in the Bible, a moment in the history of God's people, where God called his people to renew their commitment to him. And as we survey that story, I want to actually have us today together do something similar to renew our commitment to God. So that's where we're headed this morning. And if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it then to Joshua 24. Maybe you're already there. I will tell you, I'm not going to put the scriptures up on the screens this morning. This is kind of a longer passage. And I think it's helpful just to look at it in the Bible. So if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one under your seat. And you can find Joshua 24 on page 185 of that Bible. And so as you're getting there, let me, let me set the stage for where we are in the biblical story. First book of the Bible, what is it? Genesis. Okay, in Genesis, here's what happens. God shows up to a guy named Abraham and says, I want you to leave your father's house and go to the land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you uh, prosperous and give you a lot of descendants. And I'm going to bless the world through you. God's on this mission to redeem the world. And he starts with this person, Abraham. And so Genesis is the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's descendants who become the 12 tribes of Israel. At the end of the book of Genesis, these tribes, these descendants of Abraham go to Egypt and they end up enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. And they are under harsh and cruel taskmasters and God sends Moses. He hears the cries of his people and sends Moses to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. Moses brings them out. God acts miraculously to set them free. He brings them through the Red Sea and to the promised land, this land that God had promised to give to Abraham and to his descendants. The people grumble and complain along the way, and so God has them wander through the wilderness for a while in judgment on their sin. And then Joshua takes over from Moses and leads the people into the promised land, and they take possession of the land, and they spread throughout it, and they're dwelling in it, and God allots portions to each tribe and sort of gives each tribe a place to live and a place to dwell and a place to call their own. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story. Joshua is at the end of his life. In fact, a chapter before this says he's old and well advanced in years. Some of you can relate, right? Like, I feel that in 2023. Happy New Year. I'm old and advanced in years. And Joshua is coming to the end of his life, and he realizes God's people are at an important moment. 
Because they're at the first, at the first time in their history, they're at a place where they're in great danger of becoming complacent. Right now they have a place to live. God's delivered them from their enemies. We're generations removed from God's miraculous work in Egypt. And now the people are kind of well off. They have a place to dwell. Joshua realizes the danger in this moment is that God's people can become complacent, that they can forget what God has done, forget all his grace in delivering them, and begin to be followers of the gods of the culture around them. And so what Joshua does, he calls all the people together for this great assembly where he's going to ask them to renew their covenant with God. And that's what's happening here in Joshua 24. So let's look at the text together. Joshua 24, verse 1, the text begins, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. The first thing you have to know to understand what's happening in the story is the importance of the place that it's taking place at. Shechem is not just anywhere. It's not just any place in the world. It's a specific place that has specific importance for God's people. I want to take you back in the story and show you two texts, two moments in the story that reveal to us the significance of the place Joshua chooses. The first is all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God first calls Abram to leave his father's house. This is what we read. Genesis 12, verse 5, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. The first thing you need to know about Shechem is it is the exact place where Abram encountered God, where God appeared to him and said, I'm going to give your descendants this land. And so Abram builds an altar there to the Lord. This is a significant place where Abram encountered God. And I I like that it mentions there's the oak of Morah there. I don't know what that is, but that must have been some tree. Like when it's such an impressive tree, you say, oh yeah, that one oak. Everybody knows what that is, the Oak of Morah, right? If you have that tree in your yard, like if your tree is the, oh yeah, the, obviously the Christmas tree down at Durham Museum this, this year is coming from our yard. That's a significant tree, right? So not only is the place significant, but there's some significant markers of what that place signifies. So that's the first moment is Abram encountering God at Shechem. The second moment is Genesis 33, verse 18. We read about Abram's grandson, Jacob. It says this, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So the second thing you need to know about Shechem is it is the first piece of real estate that God's people owned in the promised land. Before they got the whole land, Before God gave them everything, Jacob bought this place in Shechem, and this was the first beachhead, the first real estate God's people owned in the land that he had promised them. This isn't just any place. It's a place that's evidence of God's faithfulness to his people. And what's interesting, even as we think about that, is that we sit in a similar kind of place this morning, don't we? Think about where you're sitting right now. 
1949, a group of Christians purchased this piece of property where you sit this morning. Back then, it was in the countryside west of Omaha. This part of Omaha wasn't even annexed until 1956. This was out in the country. And they established here a place devoted to the worship of God. For 73 years, as the city has grown around this place, this piece of real estate has been set apart, not for industrial use and not for residential, not for retail, but set apart for Christian worship. Now, it didn't become part of our story until a few years ago. Like the people of Israel, the people of Cormdale wandered through the wilderness of Omaha, meeting in rented venues and auditoriums and schools. And finally, in 2016, we received word that this property was going to come up for sale. And so at Christmas six years ago, I stood in front of you and I said, hey, we need to raise $800,000 in 80 days. And we knew that was going to be a stretch and God was going to have to show up. And in fact, he did. And over that 80-day period, we raised actually over a million dollars by God's grace, which allowed us, like Jacob, to purchase a little piece of land. Not very much, a little plot of land, hoping that from here, God might use us to impact our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to realize that where you sit this morning has significance. 8787 Pacific Street is not just any place. It's a place that's evidence of God's faithfulness to us and to his mission in our city. This is our Shechem, if you want to think of it that way. So now that Joshua has gathered people in this place that is a significant place for them in their history, he's going to remind them now of all that God has done for them. And so in verses 2 through 14, Joshua basically reviews for the people of Israel, hey, here's all the things God has done for us. Notice how it begins, verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. So he starts out by reminding him, hey, you didn't come looking for me. I came looking for you. Like there was a time in your story when you lived beyond the river and you were serving other gods and you weren't asking who is the real God, who is the true God, who's the God who made us and deserves our worship. But what happens is I came to your father Abraham and I took him from that life and I brought him to the land of Canaan. And as you go through the rest of these verses, you notice the pronoun I over and over again because God is reminding them of all that he has done for them. He says, I took I gave, I brought, I delivered. And notice how it ends in verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. What God is reminding them is, hey, everything you have right now is grace. It's a gift. It's not because you worked for it. It's not because you figured it out. It's not because you built it. It's because I gave it to you. God's reminding us that the story of his people always starts with his grace. The story of God's work in your life always begins with his grace. Chris Watkin, who's an Australian biblical scholar, um, gives us a, a real simple picture to understand the difference between grace and religion. 
And the picture is the letter N and the letter U. Okay, so think about a lowercase n and a lowercase u. Okay? The lowercase n looks like this. The stroke goes up and then it comes down. And Watkins says that's a great way of understanding human religion. Human religion works like this. What do I need to do for God so I can get God to do something for me? How do I need to make God happy so that God will do what I want or bless me or give me what I hope he would give me in life? And so all religion starts with my attempt to get God to do something for me. And so it looks like the letter N. I go up to worship God. I expect God to do something for me. Walken says, hey, biblical religion, grace looks like this. God moves down to me and therefore I return in response and gratitude and worship. It starts with God coming to me, showing his grace to me, moving toward me. Not because I deserve it, not because I did something to earn God's favor, but because God is gracious. So he moves toward me in his kindness, and then I respond to him in worship and praise. What Joshua's basically saying is, hey, remember, before we talk about what you ought to do to commit yourself to God, let's remember all that God has already done for you. Let's start with the record of his grace and all that he's done for you. And listen, friends, If God had shown such grace to them, how much more grace has he shown to us? Like, actually, the story he's telling them about their history is your history, too. Like, you're here this morning because God made a promise to Abraham, and because God brought his people out of Egypt, and because God gave his people the promised land. And in doing all that, he's bringing his kingdom to the world. Ultimately, what he's going to do through Abraham and through Abraham's descendants is to bring the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And you and I sit here now on the other side of Jesus Christ's incarnation and death and resurrection. And so, friends, if they could think about God's grace in their lives, how much more of a story of grace do we have to tell in our lives? Like, do you remember when you lived beyond the river? You remember the other gods you used to serve and worship and chase after? Then you remember how God in his grace came and found you, showed his mercy to you. You heard the gospel and responded in faith. You were baptized and brought into the family of God. You were given all kinds of gifts and graces that you didn't do anything to deserve or work for. They just were given to you by God's grace through Christ. If Joshua has a story to tell to these people of God's grace toward them, we have that story and more, don't we? So he reviews for them this great history of God's kindness and mercy and goodness to them. And then he says, verse 14, Now therefore, in light of all that, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's saying, in light of all that God's done for you, now is a day when you need to make a choice. Are you going to serve the Lord? Are you going to fear him and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness? Are you going to be his people? Or do you want to serve the gods of the nations around you? If, it's, if you don't want to serve God, then pick who you're going to serve. But either way, you've got to make a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. I love the focus Joshua puts on, look, you've got to pick a God. 
Here's the God who has delivered you. Here's the God who's made promises to your ancestors. Here's the God who's fulfilled all of his word to you. He's the one you should worship. But if you're not going to worship him, then pick a God. And the same is true in our lives. Isn't the same choice sort of confronts us? Because like them, we're surrounded by a culture full of other gods. They might not be the gods of the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Girgashites and all the otherites. But there's all kinds of gods in the culture around us, isn't there? There's all kinds of things that we are invited to make ultimate and to live for. You're going to live for your career and for success and for prosperity. Are you going to live for the approval of the people around you and everybody applauding you and thinking you're great? Are you going to live for comfort so that your life never has any pain or suffering or hardship or difficulty? Are you going to chase after love or happiness, that one relationship that's just going to totally fulfill you and make it all great? What are you going to live for? Are you going to live for autonomy and individuality and just being your own person and making all your own choices and shaping your own identity and figuring out who you are and how you're going to live in the world? Are you going to live for that? There's all kinds of gods in our culture, all kinds of things that we're invited to make ultimate. And as Bob Dylan said so wisely years ago, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but either way, you got to serve someone. All of us are going to live our lives, give ourselves to something. And so we have the same choice they had. The choice is, look, are you going to give yourself to God? Are you going to worship God? Are you going to live for God? Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve one of the gods of the world around you? You can do either one. You got to choose. And what I like about what Josh was forcing us to do here is he's honoring the integrity that each of us has as a human being made in the image of God. Notice he's not saying, because God has done this, you owe him your allegiance. Now that's technically true. What Joshua says is, here's all that God has done for us. Here's all that God has done in our history. But listen, you've got to choose. You've got a choice to make. If you want to chase after the gods of the nations around you, it's not going to go well for you. But those gods are available to you. They're out there. You can worship them. And so what I like is it forces us, even as we sit here today, to ask this question. Why are you in the room? Are you here because you want to worship God? Are you here because there's social pressure because you want to impress some people around you? You want to be able to call home to mom and tell, you, tell her that you went to church? You, you want sort of to be part of a community that's meaningful? Right? There's all kinds of reasons that we invest ourselves in things communally. But God's saying to us today, hey, look, choose whom you're going to serve. And if it's not Yahweh, the God who made heaven and earth, then fine, but you don't need to pretend. You don't need to act like you're going to serve God if that's not what you want to do. Like, there's other gods you can go worship. And Joshua's putting this choice before the people in his day, and God is putting this choice before us today and saying, look, Let's be realistic about this question. Who, who are we going to serve? Who are we going to chase after? What are we going to live for? Now, notice what happens in verse 16. Then the people answered, Joshua, good speech, compelling history of God's work among us. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and who did all those great signs in our sight. 
Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And then Joshua responds, <laughs> awesome, right? Awesome close. You are not able to serve the Lord. For he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and your sins. In, in a sense, what Joshua is doing is, hold on, hey, hey, don't just give me the answer I want to hear. Think about what you're saying. Think about who this is we're talking about. Now, I know this sort of might strike you as odd because you're thinking, maybe you were even thinking as you heard the passage read, hold on, I thought the whole point of the gospel is that God does forgive sin. So like, what is he doing saying, God will not forgive your transgressions or your sins? What's that about, pastor? Preach that sermon. Well, here's what I want to invite you to think about. How does God forgive sin? How is it, in what way, by what means, does God forgive our sin? If you think about that, you will realize the way God forgives our sin is through the covenantal obedience of Jesus Christ in our place. So you have to remember where, what moment we're in in redemptive history. You could think of it this way. The reason Jesus came to live and die in our place is because we failed to fulfill the covenant these people are making. They said, "We're gonna, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. We're going to follow God. And then turn the page to the book of Judges and begin reading. Let's see how it went, right? The whole rest of the story is, well, they obviously failed at that. They forsake God immediately as soon as Joshua died. And that's our story too, right? I mean, isn't that the story of your life? Yeah, I'm going to serve God. Well, I mean, kind of, but well, not really. I failed again, right? And Jesus comes, in a sense, the best way to think of what Jesus is doing in his life and death and resurrection is this. Jesus is an Israel of one. There's a reason Jesus is born as a descendant of David. There's a reason Jesus is a Jewish man. And the reason is because Jesus comes to fulfill this covenant that his people have failed to fulfill. He comes to inherit both the promises and the obligations given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to fulfill them in full obedience and therefore offer us forgiveness and freedom. So what Joshua is saying is absolutely true. The Lord is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. That's why he had to send his own son. God expects the loyalty of his people. He doesn't just overlook disobedience. God's forgiveness is not, hey, no big deal, we're grading on a curve today. The rest of the class failed too, so we're just going to bump everybody up to an A. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness works at the cost of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who came to stand in our place and fulfill this covenant that these people failed to fulfill. So notice Joshua wants the people to understand, and this, he's laying out for you the history of the Old Testament. If you want to understand the whole Old Testament, just read Joshua 24, law makes sense. 
Literally, what he said is he starts with Abraham. He says, okay, your ancestors went down to Egypt. God delivered them through the Red Sea, brought them to the promised land, dispossessed the people. And then he says here, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. That's all the rest of the Old Testament. The exile, the prophets, this is actually what all happens in the Old Testament. So he's just saying, hey, are you really serious? Do you really mean it? Understand who you're talking about here. This is God. And the people said to Joshua, verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve. You guys really want to do this? You really in? And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. It's kind of like a New Year's Day speech, isn't it? Hey, all right, great. Let's set, behind, set aside whatever foreign gods are among you, whatever gods you've been inclined to chase after, incline your heart to the Lord. The people said to Joshua, Yahweh our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And then notice the text tells us he does two things. He takes a book and he writes down this commitment that they're making in writing in the book of the law. And then he takes a stone and he sets it up there underneath this huge tree as a memorial. And what he tells them is, hey, this stone, verse 27, this stone has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you. What he does, he takes this inanimate object, this big rock, and he says, hey, this thing just heard what you all said. So it heard all these words, and every time you come back to this place and see this rock sitting under this tree, it should remind you of this moment and what y'all just said. So that for the rest of your days, when you go on your annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, when God calls you through the land and you're passing by Shechem and you see that rock underneath that tree, you remember, oh yeah, we stood there with Joshua. We made that commitment before the Lord. And so he memorializes this commitment for them. And by the way, this notice the book that it says he wrote it in. Joshua wrote, the, wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And if you go all the way to the end of the book of 2 Kings, when God's people are about to be sent into exile in Babylon, you'll read about a really good king named Josiah who came to the throne when he was eight years old and was faithful to the Lord. And he found this book in the temple, buried under a bunch of false gods that the people had started worshiping. And he brought it out and read it. And he led the people in national repentance because he realized we haven't done this. So there's a reason Joshua writes it down because hundreds of years later, Josiah is going to find it and say, our ancestors said we wouldn't forsake God and we have. But we need to repent and we need his grace. And that's all setting us up for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Having surveyed what Joshua did in this day, here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to renew your commitment to God this morning in a similar way. So in a minute, we're actually going to do this together. Like actually out loud. Kind of like we profess our faith. Okay? It'll be fun. You're going to enjoy it. I'm going to play the part of Joshua. You're going to play the part of the people. We're going to say some words together. But before I do that, here's what I want to do. I want to set you at ease 
that each of you has freedom this morning to act with integrity for yourself. I'm not into groupthink and peer pressure and let's all do this because we're all doing it. Here's what, here's what I want to invite you to do. It's important that we as God's people do things together. That's why we're in this room together. Because God knows we need the encouragement of one another. We need to hear the voices of one another, praising God and praying to God and worshiping God and making commitments to God. And at the same time, each of you is a unique individual made in the image of God. And you can only respond to God in a way that has integrity for who you are and where you are. So if this morning you hear this call from Joshua, you're like, yeah, man, I don't know that I'm ready to sign up to follow God. Great. There are some people in this room who are, and we're going to say some words out loud together. You don't need to say anything out loud. You can be who you are, where you are, with integrity this morning. But I want us to do it together. I want us to do something out loud in the same way that Joshua did, because we need to hear one another's voices. It's encouraging to realize, oh, we're not in this alone. It's not just me and Jesus. There's a bunch of other people, and together we're going on this journey committing to the Lord. So like Joshua did, I want to remind you of two things that will memorialize this moment. First of all, this sermon is being recorded for all of posterity and time and eternity, okay? It's going to go on the website, and a decade from now, you'll be able to pull up this sermon and listen to this moment, and you're going to hear your voice on the recording saying some words. And you'll be like, oh yeah, that Sunday we did that. So this will be good that in 2033, you can remember 2023 and be like, oh yeah, New Year's Day, I remember when we did that. And that you might need that 10 years from now to sustain you in your life then. So in, in the same way that Joshua wrote it down, we're kind of recording it in a different way. Also, I was trying to think about what's the thing that's kind of similar to the rock that he sets up under the tree? I'm not going to do the, like, let's carve a piece of stone and put it in the sanctuary, right? But it is interesting to think about the importance of architecture and how things can memorialize moments for us. So I want you to think about the thing that's most like that rock in this room is this cross that's on the wall behind me. This dominant symbol, right? When you walk in this room, it's the thing that draws your attention. It's the thing that your eyes see. It's the symbol of the Christian faith, the symbol of the crucifixion of Jesus. And the most prominent thing in this room, there's a reason it's that big. There's a reason it looms large on the wall behind me. And so here's what I want you to hear this morning. This cross hears everything you say. It has ears. And it's hearing the words we're saying together this morning. All right? And so every day when you come in here to worship God, you can remember, oh yeah, that cross heard us. That cross heard us say, we want to follow God. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, man, this is like I've been to summer camp, and this is a real summer campy thing to do. It's real, like this seems a little forced. It's like a very pastor New Year's Day thing to do. And I knew you would think that, and that's why I want to remind you of this. Actually, all we're doing right now is making explicit with our words what we do every Sunday when we come to this table. You know what the Lord's table is? It's covenant renewal. It's us coming with our bodies and being reminded of God's gracious promises that he's made to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And then us taking bread and wine and saying, yep, 
We are claiming these promises as our own, and we're willing to be bound by and live according to those promises. We want to renew our identity as the people of God, and we want to be reminded of his grace to us. That's what we do when we come to the table. So actually, all we're doing right now, in a way that sort of follows the pattern of Joshua 24, is the same thing we do every week when we come to the Lord's table, renewing our covenant with him, reminding ourselves of his grace to us, and committing again to be his people and live as his people in the world. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to say some words. I'll read the leader part. You can read the people part. It's going to feel just as awkward as when we profess our faith, where you guys are like talking at different speeds, and you're like, how do I say this at the same rate as the rest of the people in the room? It's going to have all that beauty to it, and I love that. So let me begin by reminding you of God's grace to you. God brought you out of Egypt. He delivered you from slavery to sin. He brought you through the Red Sea of baptism. He brought you into the promised land of his eternal kingdom. The Father elected you to salvation. The Son accomplished your salvation. The Spirit of God has applied salvation to you and caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now you are alive with a life that is not yours. You are full of a spirit that is not yours, but is the Spirit of God dwelling in you and living in you. And you've been given new life, as Mike reminded us in the liturgy. And this is all the work of God's grace from beginning to end. In light of that, friends, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or the gods of the culture around you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He has sent his son to redeem us. Beware, lest you neglect such a great salvation. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. Put away your false gods and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Let's pray together and ask for his grace. So, Father, you've heard our voices. And you know that as much as we mean what we said, we are fallen, flawed people. And just like the people in Joshua were prone to forget your goodness. So we acknowledge that apart from divine grace, as we said, there's no health in us. Would you give us grace now to put away our false gods? and to incline our hearts to you. Thank you for sending Jesus, the faithful covenant keeper, to be obedient in our place, to die for our sin, and to rise from death in glorious victory so that we might actually have the grace and the freedom to live according to these vows we've just made. Thank you that it's not dependent on our will and on our effort and our striving, but it's dependent on your grace working through us by your spirit. 
So would you increase in us your Holy Spirit that we might walk in faithfulness this year. And even as this cross has heard our words, and even as we sit on this plot of ground that for years has been marked out in our city as a place where churches gather, would you from this little place and this little people expand and extend your kingdom in our city that more people might know and love Jesus Christ? Would you help us live as your faithful people this year and every year ahead of us? We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.